Good morning and welcome to Bethel Christian Fellowship. You have come to a house of prayer for all nations, a safe place where strangers become friends. So if you're a guest with us today, we just anticipate that by the end of this morning, you will no longer be a stranger to us or us to you, but you will go out a friend. Thanks for being with us, and we trust that the presence and goodness of the Lord will surround you this day. This morning we are on day 29 of our spiritual journey to a more generous life. And if you have not been uh, with us throughout the journey, that's okay. We're glad you're here today and invite you to pick up one of these journals in the back. I'll be referencing it a little bit later in the message as well. And they're free to you and I encourage you. There's wonderful, wonderful, rich truths and very practical uh, godly wisdom in here that will bless you and I believe will transform your life. And there's also a little book called The Treasure Principle. And if you want a book that will mess with your life and mess with your heart, this one will do so. And I encourage you uh, to get messed. And uh, uh, for a very nominal, just the, the cost of the book, $6, uh, you can pick that up in the back today as well. This morning we're looking at the fifth of six treasure principles. Next week we'll be completing our series And uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at this reality of giving as the only antidote to materialism. Now, before I get there, I have quite a bit of context that I need to bring. And so we're going to kind of go from large picture and we're going to be narrowing until we bring things into very clear focus at the end of the message this morning. And so please... Would you walk with me through this? And if you have a a bulletin, you can pull out the the blue insert there. It has an opportunity for you to take sermon notes, and I would encourage you to do so uh, just to help you uh, kind of retain what the Lord has to speak to us this morning. First of all, I want to begin with just a few little facts. Um, Did you know? Did you know that for every man, woman, and child here in the USA... There are 16 and a half square feet of mall space. And pretty soon they want to double the size of the Mall of America because there's not quite enough for us here yet. Did you know that the average American shops for six hours a week while spending 40 minutes with his or her children? Did you know that by the age of 20, the average TV viewer, the average TV viewer has seen one million commercials? And I'm sure 500,000 of them have been on during the NCAA Road to the Final Four as they stop every 30 seconds. Did you know that in 90% of divorce cases... Arguments about money play a prominent role. Did you know that motives having to do with money or sex account for 99% of the crimes committed in the U.S. with money-related items, related crimes, accounting for 80% of those? And one of my personal favorites, right out of our little journal, did you know that the most expensive vehicle to operate per mile is the shopping cart? (laughs) 
Now, let me ask you a very simple question. What is money? What is money? Now, if you were to go and look in the any average Webster dictionary or something else, you would find a definition somewhat similar to this. Money is a medium of exchange, a measure of assets, a means of payment, a tool that simplifies trade. Now, all of that sounds very innocuous. I mean, a medium of exchange, a a measure of assets, a means of payment, a tool that simplifies trade. Sounds very, um, just very natural, very normal, very nothing much to get excited about there. But did you know that the biblical reality speaks of money in a far greater depth and breadth? Because according to scriptures, money is actually a power that has a life of its own that seeks to dominate us and inspire our devotion. In short, money is a God, small g. And if you don't wrestle with that biblical reality, you are going to be unwittingly dominated by and give your devotion to money. Think about how much of your thoughts and your activities and how much of your emotions are tied up around money. Think of how much it captures your attention and vies for your affection. That's why in America we have temples built to the God of money. And that's why we go and worship there so much. It's a power. As Jesus says, you cannot serve both God and money. You'll end up loving one and hating the other. Because it is a God. So what does the Bible have to say about money? Well, actually, quite a lot. Now, this is a conservative estimate, but there are at least 2,350 verses in the Bible devoted to the issue of money. That is twice as many as faith and prayer combined. Now, that doesn't mean faith and prayer are unimportant, but it does show the reality of the importance in God's eyes of His perspective about money. Secondly, 15% of everything Jesus said relates to this topic. He spoke about money more than He spoke about anything else other than the kingdom of God. In fact, He speaks about money more than his teachings on heaven and hell combined. Again, not that heaven and hell are unimportant, but Jesus spoke about money with great deliberateness, intentionality, and frequency. Why? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because there is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think about and handle 
money and material things. There's a fundamental connection between our spiritual life and how we think about and handle money and spiritual things. Well, let's press this out a little bit more. What does the Bible say about material things? What does it say about money and material things? What, what, what does it have to say about it? Well, the first thing that the Bible has to say, starting right at the very beginning, is that material things are a blessing. They are a blessing. In fact, they are an expression of God's goodness. If we go back all the way to Genesis 1, and if we were to read through there and the account of creation, we would come to the phrase over and over again, and God saw all that He created, and He saw that it was what? Good. Everything that has been created around us, all that we observe in our natural world is an expression of God's goodness and His in his expression that material things are a blessing from him. Not only are they an expression of God's goodness, they're an expression of his great generosity. Again, the father of the faith, Abraham, in Genesis 13, the Lord says, I'm going to bless you. And he did. Abraham became a very wealthy man. As he followed and was obedient to the Lord, the Lord just prospered him incredibly. Not only that, but Isaac also received, and, and even in a time of famine, in Genesis 26, it talks about there was famine, and, and Isaac's crop, uh, crops and his herds kept multiplying and flourishing as an expression of God's great generosity. Job. Now we think of Job and we, of course, remember all of the trials and afflictions that Job faced. But let's not overlook the fact that Job at the beginning and again at the end is a man who has experienced incredible generosity from God and experienced the blessings of great wealth. Not only that, Solomon, who was the richest man in all of the earth, who asked for wisdom and got wealth added to it. An expression of God's generosity. There's the women who followed around after Jesus and the disciples and helped to, to provide for the needs of their ministry. These wealthy women were an expression. They, they're experienced as an expression of God's great generosity. They had great wealth. There's Barnabas, the son of encouragement, who not only encouraged in word and counsel, but encouraged with gifts and great giving and incredible generosity. He must have been a wealthy man. It talks about him selling lands and, and providing material things are a blessing from God. Now, I wish that were the end of the story and we didn't have to talk about the rest. But the Bible is also very clear in its teaching that material things are a burden and a bane. Extra points for anybody who knows what bane means because it needed to be a B and I love the word bane anyway. So, anybody know what bane means? Yes. One more time. 
Something that sets you to bitterness, a curse. It's poisonous. It's destructive. And material things and money are a burden and a bane. Let's look at that a little bit more. How how can that be? Well, because, first of all, money becomes an object of worship. Remember Jesus' conversation with the rich young ruler in Matthew chapter 19? He has this conversation. The rich young ruler has come to him asking, how do I you know, inherit eternal life? What do I need to do? And, and Jesus lists out all these commands and the rich young ruler says, well, all of those things I have done. But Jesus saves the heart of the issue for the end of the issue. And He says to him, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow Me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to His disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because of the burden of carrying all of that wealth in its, its continual siren call for worship and devotion. It wants to dominate. Which brings us to the second reason that material things are a burden and a bane because they can become instruments of power. Money is a weapon. Many of you have gone through pre-marriage counseling with me and you know that when we talk about finances, one of the things that we talk about is bringing our finances into submission to the Lord Jesus Christ and making the settled decision before you ever get married that you will never use money as a weapon against your spouse. Throughout the ages, money has been used as a weapon, not only in interpersonal relationships, but societally, money is used as an instrument of power. The prophets railed against this, and one of the most famous passages in Amos chapter 4 speaks of the cows of Bashan. And it's not speaking about Bessie the cow. Hear what Amos has to say. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by His holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Ouch. The Bible's kind of direct here. There was these wealthy women who were only serving their own needs and using their wealth to oppress the poor and crush the needy, God is not pleased with money and material things being used as an instrument of power to oppress the poor and crush the needy. And it's not just the cows of Bashan that do it. We don't even see how much that happens in our society right here and around the world. You can read about it. You can see it. You can watch it. And if you're not careful, you'll live it. 
God have mercy and help us. Money, material things are a great burden and a bane. So, how do we respond? How do we respond to money and material things? Given these realities, what do we do? Well, there are two primary paths that people have taken down through the ages. The first path that I'm going to talk about is is not so common in our day and age, but I want to bring it to you as an un, so that you understand it and see it as a means of contrast this morning. The first response to money and material things that we might have is the response of asceticism. Asceticism. Some of you have heard that word. You've heard the word of being an ascetic. Let me give you a simple definition or to, to get your mind around here. An ascetic would say, an asceticism says, that because physical matter is evil and spiritual matters are the only true reality, physical matter is to be renunciated at all costs. In asceticism, there is a dangerous and ultimately destructive and destroying disconnection between the natural and the supernatural, between the natural and the spiritual. Because there is an unconscious belief that money and material things are always a burden and a bane, the best thing to do is simply to reject them outright. And so down through the ages, there have been people who have chosen the path of asceticism. Now, this is different than the gift of voluntary poverty, which is led by the Spirit of God, where someone releases their earthly goods to live in the fashion and manner of the poor as a means and an expression of solidarity with the poor and as a means of of helping and, and nourishing and blessing those who are less fortunate. That's different than asceticism, which is driven by this sense that only the spiritual is good and real and true and the natural must be rejected. And Paul speaks about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Listen to what he has to say. He gives us some good instruction here. The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good. And nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving because it is consecrated by the Word of God and by prayer. So hear this carefully. Here is the scriptural mandate for us. Receive money and material things with thanksgiving and consecrate them, set them apart with the Word and with prayer. Because money... And material things can be and are a blessing from the Lord. Receive them from His hand and consecrate them to Him with word and prayer. Now, one ditch is to try to escape from money, the burden and bane of money. The other, and the more common 
response that we see certainly in our culture today here in America is the response of materialism, which is the full embrace of material things and money. In fact, the pursuit of them at all costs. And here is the, here is the kind of the unconscious understanding in context behind materialism. It says that because physical matter is the only reality and spiritual matters are an illusion, physical matters are to be pursued at all costs. Now, being good church-going people here this morning, we would, of course, reject that, wouldn't we? We wouldn't say that spiritual matters don't matter. Of course we say they do. But to the words on our lips and the reality of the way we live our lives align themselves with one another. How do we truly live? And how does the church in America live its life? Is there a mad pursuit after earthly goods and things? To the exclusion of, or at the very least, the diminishment of spiritual matters. How do we use our time? How do we use our talents and our treasures? The things that we have been given to steward. Where's our heart? Where's our focus? The fallacy is that money and material things are always a blessing. That's the fallacy behind this particular approach. And Paul deals with this in writing to Timothy as well. He's instructing a young pastor on how to pastor his church. And he says, first of all, don't let them fall into this false asceticism, but neither let them fall into this false materialism. Because godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. If we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, not money, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people eager for money have wandered from the face, faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I've seen it, people. I've watched it happen. And it's tragic. The fact is, you brought nothing in, you're taking nothing out. Like the accountant of a very rich man who was asked eagerly with great, you know, interest, how much did he leave? He left everything. You don't see many hearses with U-Hauls. Okay? You brought nothing in, ain't nothing going out. And it's a temptation and a trap. And it'll snare your heart because money wants to dominate your life and it desires your devotion. 
Here's the biblical scriptural mandate. Avoid being devoted to and dominated by money and material things and learn the grace of contentment. People, I'm on that journey. I'm still learning the grace of contentment. It's a hard, hard process. But Jesus says, take my, you know, take my yoke. Learn from me. Learn from me. Jesus and His contentment. We need to learn from our King. So, is there, is there a response other than asceticism or materialism? You know, we're swimming upstream. All we see around us is materialism and very small and few but occasional examples of asceticism. But is there another way? I believe there is. There is a third way that we are invited into. And that third way is the way of simplicity and generosity. One of the things that I discovered as I began studying generosity that I didn't, I didn't know before I actually began to, to, to go in depth and, 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 and begin to study into generosity is that at its root, the word generosity means a singleness. Which is the same root of simplicity. There is a singleness rather than a duplicity. And that's why we read Psalm 86 this morning as David cries out to the Lord and says, Lord, give me an undivided heart that I might fear Your name. Please don't overlook this and miss this. I think I've said it every sermon, but I'm going to say it again. This series about generosity is not a series about your money. It's about your heart. It's about your heart. It's about my heart. In simplicity and generosity, we understand that because all physical matter and spiritual matters belong to God, He is to be pursued with unity of heart and singleness of purpose. Both physical and spiritual matters belong to God. So He is to be pursued with unity of heart and singleness of purpose. Because the truth of the matter is money and material things can be both a blessing and a burden and a bane. We want it to be either or and it's both and. And because it's both and, we've got to deal with the both and. And the way we deal with the both and is by bringing our hearts into alignment with His heart. And pursuing Him and His purposes. As Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust don't destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. When our treasure is in Him, first, there will our heart be and we'll begin to beat with His heartbeat of His purposes, His priorities, His plans. Get it? Do you hear this? Because all things belong to God, we receive all that we have 
as gifts from Him to be cared for by Him and fully available to Him. All right. We're almost there. Don't miss now. Don't don't check out. We're coming into that. I told you we were going to start with the large context and we're coming in. So I want to talk now how in, in, in the way in which giving then becomes that antidote to materialism because, again, it begins in our heart in developing a heart attitude of simplicity and generosity. So let me talk about this heart attitude for a moment. And would you please allow the Lord, ask the Lord right now, in fact, Lord, come and speak to our hearts right now. Would you come, Lord? Lord, you know that our hearts are deceptive above all things, desperately wicked, Lord. You know, but Lord, you are greater than our hearts. Would you come and speak to our hearts right now? Because we want to develop this heart attitude. This is 101, people. This is, this is the beginning. These are foundations right here. Very simple. The first is dependence. It's all gift from Him. Every breath you take, the fact that you're breathing right now and at least partially awake is a gift from the Lord. Everything that you have or ever will have, everything pertaining to you is all gift from Him. And we must develop this attitude of utter dependence on Him, which is why Jesus taught us to pray, give us today our bread for retirement. Give us today our daily bread. We often wonder why It seems that the Spirit of God moves with such power in other places in the world rather than here. Well, in other places in the world, they understand that they're dependent on Him. Utterly and completely. Trust. He is all our security. He is all our security. There is no security anywhere else. Again, Jesus said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in Me. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I don't give as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. You know what? If the whole economy comes crashing down and every one of us who has a mortgage on our house gets taken, you know, and repossessed, Well, what's the bank going to do with all those houses anyway? I don't know. I know I remember during the Y2K kind of wild times, people were whatever, building their bunkers. All I heard from the Lord was store up righteousness. That's what I heard. Store up righteousness. And I also heard that you got more than enough in your house and around you to live on and give away for far more than you'd ever think. He's all our security. 
and relinquishment. All is available. All is available for His use. As you go preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you've received. Freely get. Andrew, I think, talked about last week about time. Freely give. What if we were to tithe on our time? They were doing the math in the first service. I kind of messed it up, but I think it's 168 hours a week is what we got time-wise. How about tithe of that? Most of us tithe that much to the TV. Your time, your talents, your treasures. I love what Randy Alcorn says right here out of the Treasure Principle book. Giving is a joyful surrender to a greater person and a greater agenda. It dethrones me and exalts him. All right. Now I'm going to get real practical about developing a lifestyle. This is the very last piece this morning. If you've got a journal... If you look at page 82, it gives you a whole list of these that you can do. It's so helpful. This is really, really good stuff. I've learned a ton just going through this. But let me give you a few just quickies. First of all, live simply and within your means. Stop spending more than you earn. Live simply and within your means. Learn to discern between your needs and your wants. He promises to meet our needs. He doesn't promise to meet your wants. Do you meet every want that your child brings to you? I want. Refuse to be propagandized. You are swimming upstream in a constant current of you got to have this. That's why Romans said, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world. Get your mind renewed. Don't be propagandized. Everything that was in style 20 years ago is going to be in style again. Just wait around long enough. <laughs> Ken Holmgren says, Amen. The only man I know who can still wear his pants from high school. He's never gained a pound. I don't know how that works. All right. Hey? Don't be propagandized. Here's a good one. Give away anything that owns you. Give away anything that owns you. You know that big, nice plasma TV? If it owns you, give it away. Somebody else will really enjoy it more than you do. And you'll love to give it away. It'll be good for your soul. Whatever, if there's a toy that's just got its grip in you, if there's something that's got its claws in your heart, give it away. You'll rest easier. It's a burden. If it's owning you, it's a burden. If you're having to protect it and keep it, and you know, those people with the cars that have to park them three miles away from the entrance because so nobody dings them. 
put up cones around them, you know. Wow. That's way more work than I want to do. All right. It's wonderful. When you drive a beater, there's no, you know. Give away anything that owns you. And shun anything that distracts you from seeking first the kingdom of God. I'm going to close. And if you've got a Bible, you can come here with me. You can use the Bible in front of you too. Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, that's why the therefore is here. Now, because of that reality, here's what Jesus instructs us to do. I'm going to tell you. Do not worry about your life and what you'll eat or drink or about your body. What you wear is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire... And will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? So don't worry. Saying, what are we going to eat? What should we drink? What should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and righteousness and all, say all, all, say all, all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Ain't that true? Come on. I love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases the last portion of that scripture. He says, what I'm trying to do here is to get you to relax. To not be so preoccupied with getting so that you can respond to God's giving. People who don't know God and the way He works fuss over these things, but you know both God and how He works. Steep your life in God reality, God initiative, God provisions. Don't worry about missing out. You'll find all your everyday human concerns will be met. Give your entire attention to what God is doing right now and don't get worked up about what may or may not happen tomorrow. God will help you deal with whatever hard things come up when the time comes. All right. I'm going to just do this real simple. Eric, if you could just come. I'm just going to have Eric come uh, right now and and rest of the worship team can come just a little bit later. But it's just just a really simple chorus here. And so we're just going to keep it real simple. It's one of those oldies but goodies. Seek ye first the kingdom of his God and his righteousness. Just what we were just sharing here in Matthew 6. We ask the Lord to speak into our hearts. I, you know what? Sometimes, i got to tell you, preaching is not easy for this reason. God always walks you through what you're preaching on. And He's been just walking, relentlessly walking me through stuff here that I'm sharing with you. So I, I want you to know His uh, double-edged sword is deep in my own heart. And uh, he's messing with me. And um, 
I don't have all the answers yet. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. I'm still, I'm still pressing on. But I, I really want the Lord to give me a single heart. A unity of heart. I don't want to be a double-minded man. I don't want to be a divided heart servant. I want to be a single heart and minded friend of God who hears his heart and walks with it. That's my prayer. That's my desire. And that's my desire for us as a church. God, help us. Would you come and speak into the very heart of our life together, the truths of what you're trying to to get into us, Lord. We're swimming upstream. Lord Jesus, have mercy on us. Forgive us, O God. We confess our sin before you. We confess our brokenness in this area. Lord, I confess, on behalf of this body and for myself, Lord, that we have allowed ourselves to be enticed by and trapped by and tempted by so many things that vie for our attention and our affection. Jesus, we want you to be our affection. We want you to be our attention. We want to fix our eyes on you. Help us. Cleanse us. Lord, you said that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess our sin before you. So please come and wash us with your word today. Wash us with your truth today. We're crying out, Lord, help us. You know the culture we live in. You know the challenges that we face. Jesus, you know the challenge of our own hearts. But again, Lord, you are greater than our hearts. Have mercy. Would you just open your hands, please? Oh, God, have mercy upon us, Lord. Help us, Jesus. This is a corporate invitation this morning because there's not a single person in this room who does not struggle in these areas. It's reality. That's true. There's none of us that have arrived yet. Help us, Lord. Bring us more into alignment. More into agreement with your word and your truth. Oh, God, help us. Please, God. Convict us, Lord. Lord, do not let the enemy condemn us in this area. We're not looking to get beat up by the enemy, Lord. We're looking to be changed. Help us, please. Do the work. Thank you, Lord, for the... I can think around and look around this room and think of multitudes of testimonies of God, of of your people who have experienced your grace in this area and have experienced freedom and liberty and, and, and have walked in that. And Lord, thank you. Help us keep moving. Help us keep growing in this area, Lord. Help us to be a church that is known for its generosity and its simplicity, O Lord. Its singleness of heart and its pursuit of you and your purposes, O God. And the freedom to release as we make everything available to you. You've spoken to us. You've spoken to us prophetically and said... It's time for Bethel to spend herself on behalf of this city. Lord, spend us, Lord. In this year of outpouring, pour out through us, Lord, whatever you want to do and however you want to do.